so Harding? What's on your mind? Mm, a lot, actually. Thank mm. you, Archer. Um, but I think that the first thing that's front of mind is the difficulty of students to try and figure out what they want to do with their careers and their, and their mm. lives. And how to kind of filter out through all the bullshit. Yeah. Because a lot of misconception out there. Oh, yeah. I'll be honest, I never really related to that. I was, I always knew I, I knew what I wanted to do and I was going to do it. And mm. I never really understood the people that didn't really know what they're doing. Yeah. But that said, having gotten into it, there's a lot of stuff I didn't know that if I had it may have influenced my yeah. decisions a bit more. Yeah. Well... Um, have you always seen well how do you view what you do do you see it as some sort of kind of calling that was like sort like that was predetermined for you and it was an inevitable pathway for you to go and study medicine and stuff like that yeah yeah at the time or um, yeah or do you see it as something that you're interested in it was a few things okay. it was um I remember I was really tossing up between pursuing engineering because mm-hmm. I love to build things and yeah. design things, law because I love to argue, right, or medicine. And the reason why I went with medicine over the others um, is because I hate maths, so I can't do engineering. Yep. And I wanted to do something where you learn skills that are useful in any setting anywhere in the world. So, like, interpersonal skills? Just skills in general, right? And, you know, I'll get onto that in a moment because it turns out interpersonal skills are a much bigger thing in medicine than I thought when I was, you know, 14 years old. Yeah. It's essentially just as important as all the science and everything else. Um, So, that was, you know, a a logical reason for going down that path. But also, um, I mean... I wanted to do something that was challenging. I wanted to do something that made a big impact on the world. Mm -hmm. That was another thing. I think for me, it's very important to leave my mark on the world. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you can do that in whatever you do, right? But there's sort of a safety net in medicine where even if you don't do anything too out of the ordinary, you can still rest easy knowing that you've probably done some great things for people yeah over your career that makes sense yeah it's kind of like delayed gratification in the sense that you spend heaps of time studying Mm -hmm. but when you're out practicing you your your gratification is every day yeah absolutely yeah yeah and that that's a, a great way to look at it actually because um if well for a lot of people in medicine yeah you do get gratification every single day yeah when you're working in it um, and that's something that's been really rewarding for me. I hated being in the classroom, mm-hmm. right? Not in school. I loved school, but in university, I hated learning mm-hmm. in, you know, lectures and tutorials and things like that. Um, but absolutely love being in the hospital. It's fantastic. Do you see, do colleagues that you work with, uh, did they kind of have this divine passion or do they treat it kind of more a bit more clinically a bit more professionally like what's the what have you seen from 
classroom it, and kind of the oh, student it perspective? It varies so much. So you've got all okay. the way from um, I'm here because my parents made me. <laughs> yeah, they kind of, yeah. They tend to hate what they're doing, right? Um, all the way to, you know, it's my sole responsibility to save the whole world. And yeah, okay. they're, you know, good for them, but that's not going to happen either. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's the full spectrum. Um, I think everyone's there for their own reasons. I think um, more so than people let on, there's a lot there for the supposed prestige and money that right. might come with a career in medicine. It's not really like that these days, right? unfortunately. I'd love that, how, but it's not. How, what, how slash why do you think that's changed? So, I mean, you know, it... You can set yourself up for a career in medicine that results in you earning huge amounts of money and being yeah. really well respected and things like that. Yeah. And doctors certainly are still, for the most part, well respected um, from what I've seen. But it's it's certainly not like the good old days where you're seen as, you know, um, almost infallible. Right? right. That's a good thing in many ways. Right. But it's certainly not going to leave you feeling fulfilled if that's the reason you've decided to go into medicine yeah because um the the dynamics in the hospital are different to what you see in media right you know like depending on the department you're in it may or may not be doctor led it might be midwife led like in obstetrics mm -hmm. and gynecology that's midwife led mm -hmm. um certain health systems may not be doctor led right so and then just the cultures in different hospitals really strongly determine how well respected you are as mm -hmm. a doctor, mm -hmm. right? Um, so if you're in it for the prestige, you're not going to be very happy. Um, if you're in it for the money, you can make lots of money in medicine. It just takes a very long time. Right, right. And there's much easier ways to make lots of money. Right, right. Um, and... Frankly, it's, you know, it's so much time and work that it takes to get there that you're really not going to enjoy yourself very much. And so you're not going to be a very good doctor. Yeah. Really. Okay. Um, that said, I think it's perfectly okay to, you know, want to earn a good amount of money, want to be respected, um, and want to do medicine for other reasons too, all at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Right, which is yeah. the category I'd put myself in. Um, I think if you can't find ways to enjoy the day-to-day -day of it, mm -hmm. then you're in trouble. And to me, that day-to-day -day enjoyment is knowing... So I love surgery, mm -hmm. right? And a big part of why that's so rewarding to me is because patients come in extraordinarily sick, right? And literally the next day, generally, after surgery they're pretty well again you can see them walking around the ward right and that's that's fantastic mm -hmm. right that's it. you get a huge feeling of success yeah when that happens yeah you know and um you know that's one of the, the huge appeals of, of surgery to me and okay. so that makes it so worth it to me every single day right so i think it's one of the most desired careers for a lot of students um, if not the most mm -hmm. um, as particularly in Asian countries 
Um, what? So you you talk about a lot a lot about um, the the rewards of it, but mm-hmm. what kind of what are the what are the disadvantages to it? So you so you, so for example, you did mention that if you want to like make a lot of money, mm-hmm. you can go and do something else for, with using the same amount of time and probably like make the same if if not more and be and be happier because you're doing what you actually want to be doing not mm-hmm. sacrificing your time for a career that you don't want to do yeah so what what are the other kind of maybe day-to-day week-to-week month-to-month disadvantages that you see yeah. doing your doing that doing medicine basically so they they sell medicine to you as a career where you get to learn for the rest of your life right they, yeah they sell it as an opportunity <laughs> right which um is one way to look at it uh, you train for a very long time, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, uh, say you want to be a, a general surgeon, mm-hmm. right? So, you do now in Australia most medical degrees are postgraduate degrees, so mm-hmm. they're MDs, mm-hmm. not MBBSs. So, you'll do an undergraduate degree. Is this is in Australia, or is this globally? Um, I believe most of the world is like that now, okay. but okay. Um, there's only a few MBBS courses in, in Australia still. Okay. Um, so most are MDs. So you have to do an undergrad degree before you do an MD. Mm-hmm. Um, so some unis offer accelerated two-year degrees for that. Mm-hmm. Others, it'll have to be at least a three-year degree, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then if you haven't gotten in as a um, undergraduate, so it my university it's called provisional entry right you get in in high school you do an exam um and they look at your high school score and you get in um in which case you just do your undergrad degree provided you don't fail anything then you just go straight on to medicine um those who don't who aren't in that position they have to go and do the gamsat exam they might have to do honors or some other research um actually no i don't think other research is really important but honors does like his first class honors credentials um, well yep. well it i believe it's not something i did but i believe first class honors is essentially like having a gpa of seven sure right so um that really helps mm-hmm. so you know it might take you three four five years after finishing high school before you even start your medical degree mm-hmm. right then you've got four years doing your md mm-hmm. right then now they have a two-year internship. Yeah, okay. Right? So uh, two years as an intern. So to get onto the general surgery training program, um, you need to do a minimum of 26 weeks mm-hmm. of a surgery placement. You need to have uh, recommendations from four different surgeons. Um, you have to do an eight-week uh, eight um, intensive care rotation. Okay. Right, and then... Essentially, you're looking at minimum three years out of graduating medical school before you can apply yeah, uh, yep. to get onto the general surgery training program. So we're at, from finishing high school at the very fastest, we're now at 10 years before you can even apply yep. to do the surgery training program. Um, that's not a realistic time frame though, because most people aren't going to get in three years out first round finishing yeah. medical yep. school um, so maybe it'll be four years maybe five maybe six maybe seven who knows mm-hmm. right in fact I can get up what the average was last year 
see. Yeah, I guess throughout that whole period as well, you're learning and you're consuming content. Yeah, you're learning, you're working, you are earning money, right? Um, and it's you know it's a decent wage, but mm-hmm. not for the amount of hours that you do. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, because unfortunately, doesn't matter where you work, you're going to be doing overtime. Sure. Um, and they very well may not pay you overtime. Sure. Okay, so the average amount of years from finishing medical school last year, sorry, for the people who started the general surgery training program last year, yep. on average it took them six years to get there okay. from finishing medical school. Um, so that, yeah, okay. Uh, so, you know, at that point you're what, 13 years out of high school, then you've got five years of general surgery training, Mm -hmm. right? So that's, um, you know, what, 18 years? And then you've got to do your fellowship, right? So that's, you know, generally one or two years Mm -hmm. of training on top of that before you're a specialist. Mm -hmm. Um, So 20 years from finishing medical school, or from finishing high school. Yeah, sorry. Studying, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... You know, you're. Yeah, okay, so the average age of someone who's finished the program is 51 years of age. Yeah, okay, so, so, it's, so it's basically half your, like, life. It's, yeah, it's a huge amount of your life. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so it's it, so it basically it's a long career of. It was a long process of learning. That it's yeah. like it's the longevity seems to be one it's, of the main factors. It's a long slog. And if you're someone who is outcome focused like I am, mm-hmm. right, that just seems like an insurmountable amount of time yeah, okay. that you're working because someone like me would never be satisfied until I'm there at the finish line. Yeah. Right. So, yep. um, but it's good in the sense of that it keeps you working hard and always trying to make you or you improve yourself and you're never yep. going to stagnate over yep. that time. Yeah. Um, one of the big downsides is in the medical industry there is a mindset of you will always put your job first mm-hmm. right and you really do need to forego a lot of your personal life sure. right and um, in terms of things like training positions you will be sent to anywhere in the country yep. for six months at a time yeah so you'll be moving every six months um sometimes you're given one weekend to move from you know one city to another yeah right so it's um it's a tough life for a number of years yeah so so you're at the mercy of the government effectively yeah to put you places or the hospitals and shit or the training colleges yeah or the training colleges um so you know you need to understand that you will have to move around a right. lot most training doctors end up in long distance relationships yep. right it's you end up well a lot of people end up in towns and cities completely away from their friends and family yep. and their significant other just completely alone yep. working huge amounts of time yeah you know um yeah i guess the other thing as well is everyone you know everyone kind of thinks sees the best which of something like medicine for example where yeah. someone like let's say has a practice and they're at home they work a nine to five they're good money etc 
Yeah. Um, but I, I think like the, the 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 issue with that is it's a very small subset of the industry that you're exposed to, right? Well, I mean, so GPs make up the largest part of the healthcare system for sure, um, and comparatively, you know, they have a pretty yeah. different path to getting there. So I'm describing what it would take to be a in a surgical or medical specialty. Yeah. Right. So a hospital doctor. Yeah. Right. Um, a GP, right, you finish medical school, you do your internship, you can apply to be in on the GP training program. Then once you get on, you do another year of hospital work, right? And then you go and do two years of GP training. Right. right? So again, you might have to move around a bit, yeah. but we're looking at five years versus 10 or 11 or 12 years yep. of moving yep. around. Yep. Right. Okay. So that's a big difference. Then yep. as a GP, you have a bit more choice of where you work yep. afterwards, right? You can set up your own practice. Yeah. So let's talk about that right. in a sec. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I hear this all the time mm. because as you know, like I have a lot of medical friends and they obviously have friends as well and associates that have that, that study medicine. Yeah. And I hear this all the time that their pathway to success and let's say freedom mm. more than success because in general they'll be okay financially. Yeah. But their kind of pathway to get super ultra successful and free and I think what they mean by free is time mm-hmm. is to set up a bunch of practices, sit on your ass on a beach in Mexico and drink Mai Tais. So talk to me about kind of that that whole expectation and yeah. the reality of it. Yeah, those well, sorts I mean, of things. The sitting on a beach drinking Mai Tais, that, that might be something you can do a long way down the track, but it's the same as any other business yeah. in the sense yeah. of it's a lot of work. Yeah. Right. So, um, I mean, like I've worked in a lot of GP practices before. I've got experience in starting and running practices myself. It's... Um, it's a huge amount of work. GP in terms of the medical field, it's also not all that profitable compared to other things you can do. I think the okay. appeal of it is the barrier to entry is very low. Okay. Right. So okay. Um, a GP clinic, right? Generally, all of your doctors will be contractors, right? So you're not going to have to pay wages, right? Yeah. Um, you'll have minimal staff, just some admin staff and some nursing staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll you'll have to you can either you know purchase an existing business mm-hmm. or you can set one up yourself, right? So you need you know a couple of hundred grand for the fit out um, and then rental for the space. Yeah, you know that's the cheapest way to get started essentially, um, and then. You know, overall, those costs aren't all that high in comparison to other things. You're looking at, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a GP practice started. Um, If you're privately billing, so the patients pay a gap fee when they go and see the doctors, you know, the the returns are are decent if it's run well, if you're full of patients, right? Yeah. But um, the issue is getting yourself patients, right? So unless... If you're in the middle of a big city, you might really struggle to get patients because a lot of people already have 
a GP yep. right, in the city. Yep. If you go to a regional place, mm-hmm. you're probably going to find it really easy to yep. get patients, but you're going to find it really hard to get doctors to work there. Yeah. Right. So that's the trade-off. So you're going to have to pay them more probably. Okay. Um, you can sponsor international doctors yep. to come and work for you um, because they... For an international doctor to work in Australia, they have to work in a regional place for a certain number of years, yep. right? And so that's generally the way most rural and remote GP practices get yep. doctors to work there. Um, but yeah, you might have to pay them more to be happy to be there. So could um, you set up a practice as a GP, hire a, uh, like a operations manager, Practice or a practice manager, manager yeah. and then just get them to run it? So generally that's um, that's one way of doing it. That, that does happen a lot, yeah. So from what I've seen, there's a lot of um, married couples where one of them or both of them will be a GP, mm-hmm. right? And the other one will do a lot of the running of the place, mm-hmm. right? They may or may not have another practice manager that works there as well. So, you know, practice managers, from what I've seen, they do, you know, all the scheduling, managing all the receptionists, stuff like that, managing all the billing. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more they do than what I know of, but um, sometimes you'll have a practice manager and a business manager, right? Okay. Um, one practice I worked at had a practice supervisor running all the reception stuff and then the practice manager did all the other stuff. Um, so, but I mean, if the doctor is still the business owner, obviously they've still got the responsibilities of being a company director, right? And they'll probably make some more big picture decisions. and Right, like so yeah. So you can hire someone and sit and just and leave it quite ignorantly but it probably would take some time for you to get there yeah but but also generally the the type of person who's going to go and start their own clinic isn't going to just sit back and let someone else do everything yeah for them yeah you know okay um because you know that kind of person would be similar to you or i you know Mm -hmm. and neither of us would do that yeah really yeah um but i mean i guess it's very possible and it's been seen lots of times that you can you know do that grow buy slash make lots of clinics Mm -hmm. right and then have a big uh support company that runs them all for you Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm. right um from what i've seen because this is an idea that i've thought about many many times and have made plans for doing this and things like that looking at the other companies in the industry now it seems to be getting uh well the majority of gp clinics are either individual ones or in groups of you know two or three maybe but there are now a few big companies that have huge amounts of clinics around the country sure right um an example would be sonic healthcare Okay. Right. Um, they own, you know, Kilmel Pathology. They own uh, Sonic Health Plus. You might have seen those clinics around. They 
may have, I don't know if they did, but they were looking into selling the GP side of their business because the profits just aren't that good. Yeah, so with, so let's say you start a practice yeah. and you want to run it. Mm-hmm. So for example, let's digress for a second. If you start a company like uh, Facebook, yeah, you can grow the company so you can just grow the company, right? Mm-hmm. And it, you gain more, uh, you gain you gain more company and enterprise value yep. as the size of the company goes up, as the size of revenues goes up, yeah. And as you are able to exploit kind of scaling things like this, mm-hmm. is it easy to scale um, things like practices? That's the first question. And the second thing is, is it how like how much can you grow a, a practice and upgrade a practice till its value, be, like the, the the like the it becomes diminishing returns to scale. Okay, right. right. So for example, so, you can you can redo a whole practice. Yeah. You can change the floors, probably add a bit of value, add some new tech, etc. Yeah. etc. But how much can you actually do it? Where it you know you won't get that extra value coming through yeah. in you know patient so, fees. So a problem with GP practices is they don't really have much value. Right. Unless right. they own the land that they're on. Right. Because other than that, they don't have any capital. Right? Yeah. yeah. Other than computers and desks and stuff like that. So they've maybe got, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of capital. That's yeah. about it. Because again, the most valuable thing is the practitioners and they're not employees. Yeah. Right. Um, my opinion is your fit out probably doesn't matter all that much from a patient perspective. Yeah. Right. Because healthcare in general is pretty inelastic demand. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think it would make sense to set up a really nice clinic in the middle of a big city. Yeah. Because one, your rent is going to be very high. Right. Um, the fit out's going to be very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, people in cities now are really expecting bulk billing, mm-hmm. right? So your revenue is going to be half of what it potentially could be, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you're going to struggle to get uh, patients because it's a market that's already pretty saturated. Yeah, okay. Right? I think it makes most sense to set up clinics in regional areas where you don't need to make it look as nice because people don't they're not going to your clinic because it's a nice looking clinic. They're going to it because it's there, mm-hmm. right? And they don't have to drive two hours to yeah. the next nearest one, yeah. right? So you don't need to set it up really nice. Caveat to that is you want your staff to be happy. Mm-hmm. So you want to have it nice enough for them to be happy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Your rent will be much cheaper, right? You can generally do private billing. So you can charge about twice as much as you would in the city yeah right um and you're not really going to struggle to get patients if you choose the right areas right right so as far as i'm concerned it just makes more sense because much lower operating costs and you can get higher revenue yeah essentially okay so the way to maximize revenue is is not necessarily yeah. So the way to maximize revenue is to go to places where you can tr- charge privately. Mm-hmm. But like the consideration also being, 
the amount that you can bill is basically contingent on how many people you can see per day, per hour, right? So in yeah. order to max- maximize that, you would have to work somewhere where you can try, you can you don't have to bulk bill. Yep, so also you want to work somewhere where there's enough people. So if you're in the middle yep. of absolute nowhere and there is no one around, um, what's the point? Yeah. Because right? you'll have no patience. Um, but yeah, generally people are happy to pay to see a doctor in regional areas, um, which like, frankly to me feels a little bit, um, like you're exploiting people because they're happy to pay because they need to see a doctor and it's there. Whereas people in the city, if they have to pay at your clinic, they'll literally walk a kilometre down the yep. road and there'll be a bulk billing clinic there where yep. they won't have to pay. Um, so, yeah, but it's it's frankly just a lot easier in a regional place. But again, you have the issue of getting staff to work there. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. in terms of scaling, like you said before, um, Sure, because, and the reason I ask about scaling is because if you have a practice, you, let's say that the most you, if you have like a f- six man practice, like six mm. doctors, the most you can bill is as many patients as they can see in their working day. Like yep. that's your maximum revenue, yep. right? D- multiplied by the cost of in your- In general, yeah. yeah. So like there's, there's different things they can do as well. So they can, um, you know, if you're doing procedures there, you can generally bill more for those. Mm-hmm. If you're doing- uh, things called care plans and stuff like that. You can bill more for those and things like that. So there are ways to maximize the amount of money that you're making yeah. per doctor. Yeah. But that takes a very proactive doctor, proactive nursing right. staff, proactive practice management to to make that happen. Okay. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you could calculate um, how to maximize those profits, right? It also all has to be it has to make sense to do it clinically, right? Like you can't be billing people for things that they don't need, yep. right? That's just, you know, one, immoral, but also illegal, yep. right? Um, so, you know, you can't be doing procedures if there's no need to do procedures, yep. right? Um, but it's good to have the facilities to do so yep. if the need arises. But yeah, so in terms of expanding, in terms of, so like internal expand expansion within the one clinic right obviously you need the space for it yeah right you need the patients for it so yeah you know there's no point getting another doctor if your current doctors aren't fully booked up yeah right and then you need to get the staff for it yeah as well okay so yeah so you're it's, it's kind of like a cash it's a cash flow business right like it what if you set up a, a clinic correctly you can you, the, the goal is not necessarily to just constantly expand that size of that clinic, mm. right? It's to maximize the operational efficiency of that clinic. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Right. So, um, and it's not actually that easy to do. Yeah. So, I've worked or had placements in a, quite a lot of clinics mm-hmm. um, and they're all run a bit differently, even within the same company. So I worked in five different yeah, clinics okay. within the one company and saw variation between them. Um, and frankly, you really do need that team that is really proactive and knows what they're doing to yeah. make it work out well. So like, 
I saw I was at an extremely efficient clinic where the head GP there was a very efficient man and a very good leader, mm-hmm. right? And so he had trained up his nursing staff to be, um, again, very efficient, sure. very proactive. Um, and so he was able to let them do a lot of stuff which freed up him to see more patients, yeah. right? Because um, he's a profit center. Like he, he, he drives revenue, right? Like, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, because that, that's the other thing in GP clinics. The doctors are essentially the only thing that make money. Yeah. Their time is the most valuable thing possible. So having nurses there that can do things for the patients that frees up time for the doctors yep. is incredibly valuable. Yeah. Right. But then also you've got to pay your nurses, you know, 70000 80000 $90,000 a year. So mm-hmm. it's got to make sense, mm-hmm. right? So for one doctor, if you've got two nurses for that one doctor, that doctor's got to be bringing in a huge amount of revenue to be paying both of them. Okay, right? yeah. So um, generally I'd see, you know, you'd have one nurse for every two doctors, sure. maybe a bit more sometimes. Yeah. Um, it just depends. Um, but then I'd work in really inefficient clinics where there was, you know, one nurse between six or seven doctors, um, maybe like two or three reception staff, everyone's right, waiting around, you know, just things aren't going well. Yeah. So it really depends on training up those, like picking the right staff and training up those staff well, as with most businesses, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. You know? um, which again, is difficult if you're in regional areas too. yeah so again that's the challenge of making that high profit center yeah in the middle of nowhere yeah um what so the majority of gps do not own their own practices so what kind of salaries would uh contractors kind of be looking at yeah, so because... Well, or, or let's say, not, so salaries. Not salaries. So salaries, and yeah, so what kind of money would they order full-time employer or full-time contractor make? Yeah, With so, full books, let's say. Okay, so... The range is, like, fine as well, right? Yeah, so we we could calculate it even. So if, if you're bulk billing, right, so um, you might see five patients an hour. Sure. Right, so that would be, um, say, working. Is that would that be quite an efficient doctor? Five patients an hour. Um, a lot do six as well. Okay. Um, actually, let's say six. If you're bulk billing, you've really got to churn through the patients, right? So, and so you work seven point five hours. That's forty five patients a day. That's a lot. Yeah. That is a, most would do yeah. 30. There's a, there's a Medicare um, cap, right? Of like 200 or something. There, there is. I, I don't know what yeah. the cap is. Um, but let's say, you know, you're saying 200 or you're doing 225 standard consultations a week, right? And that this isn't realistic because you will have different types of consultations exactly. at different yeah. times and stuff like that. Um, so the revenue would be, you know, like $38 for each console right mm-hmm. so 8550 of revenue mm-hmm. for that week mm-hmm. right now gps tend to get between you know 40 to 60% of what their 
their billing. Right? Okay, so, so, the, say, so the, the range is 40 to 60%. Yeah, so let's say 50%, so that's $4,275 a week. Okay. Right, say you work, you know, 48 weeks of the year, that's 205000 Okay. All right. But you're working hard. Yeah. In that. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's just your standard, standard GP working standard hours for, you know, charging a standard amount. Bulk that's, billing. That's bulk billing. Bulk yeah, billing. but you're, you're working hard. Like, that's yeah. a very... Six patients an hour is not easy. And you're yeah. not... It's hard to provide really good care yeah. at that point. Um, so, but I mean, like, from what I've seen, yeah, generally someone working full-time in GP, it's two to, at a stretch, 400,000 mm-hmm. a year, mm-hmm. right? Probably more around the 250 to 300 mark, yeah. right? But a good thing about GP is it's a bit flexible. Yep. You know, you can work weekends, you can work after hours, yep. things like that. Yep. And um, that's what I saw a lot of them doing to pump it up to around 300. Yep. So they'd work, you know, six days a week. Yep. Um, and that, that makes a big difference. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, I, I think that makes sense. So the if you just wanted to be an average, you just wanted to be a normal doctor, right? So... The scenario we just described is like two fifty k. Yeah. Um. In like let's say perpetually. Mm-hmm. You. Your time is seven, seven, seven years, seven plus how many years to become a GP? So like let's say nine. Um, nine or t- nine or ten years. Yeah, let's say ten or eleven years to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what you would give up if you wanted to just be like a standard GP. Yeah, yeah, okay. That doesn't own a practice or doesn't do anything else. You kind of, that's your like standard. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I mean like it's it's a, you know, comfortable life. You're yeah. not buying mansions and things like that, but yeah. you've got a good... Well, this is kind of something job. is you have stable cash flows, um, but, you know, it's not necessarily... You know, it's not it's not ten million dollars a year, or yeah. it's not five million dollars a year. Right? Yeah. Um, which I think that there are a large faction of students who think that will be the case. Nah, yeah, it's just not. So, um, where can people go to access intern salaries from a reputable source? Yeah, so it depends on your health care system, right? So in Australia, let's go. Yeah, so every state's different. Yeah. Um, so generally you can search up, you know, say Queensland Health mm-hmm. Dr. Pay mm-hmm. or New South Wales Health Dr. Pay and things mm-hmm. like that. And you'll find um, they'll publish all of their pay streams. Um, so that's just your base salary. And so it's a bit inaccurate um, because, again, you'll find yourself doing heaps of overtime. Yeah. Right. So, and again, it will depend on whether your hospital or even the department within your hospital pays overtime or not, whether you get it. Yeah. Right? Um, but if they do, you know, you could be looking at a lot more money than what it says. Yeah, yeah. So, for instance, um, in Queensland Health, so um, let's just see. This year, 
an intern would be paid um, $84,000 a year at baseline. Um, but I often hear interns saying that they're earning $100,000 just right. the other time. So, yeah, so it just depends on... Yeah. Okay. Um, and you get that from Queensland government website? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so again, like, you know, even as an intern, it's not bad pay. Yeah. Um, well, it's higher than the GDP per capita of our country. Right? Yeah, so it's it's not bad pay, but also it's taken you a very long time to get paid. Yeah. Um, and you're working a huge amount. You may have had to move to a place you didn't want to go. Yeah. Right? Because that's how it works as a junior doctor. You. So what happens if you... Set. What happens if you don't want to go? You don't really get much okay you can try and you can try and swap with people okay right you can apply for special considerations and things like that okay um you don't have to accept the job but you don't become a doctor and well sorry you don't get if you don't find someone to switch with or well you don't get general registration unless you complete your intern year and pass the year right so okay you know you are a doctor but you have to be supervised okay right um so you need to get through that year or two years now um and so, yeah, you either find someone to swap with you, somehow get special consideration, or you just have to do it. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really not that flexible, that component of it, right? No. Like, yeah. No. Okay. Um, there's not... <laughs> in many ways, there's not a huge amount of flexibility in the medical world yep. in terms of lifestyle and having to move around and things like that. Okay. Um, okay. So I guess that's something that you, if you wanted to kind of move around a lot, let's say globally or, or whatever the case may be, that would be something that hinders you, at least in the early stages of your career, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's something you have to consider. Um, so especially, you know, if you want to go and do a, a long training program, you're potentially moving around for, you know, 15 or 10, 15 years after you finish medical school. You might even have to move somewhere in medical school. Yeah, okay. Right, so a lot of them have um, clinical units in rural areas Mm -hmm. and some people don't get a choice and just get sent to them. Yeah, okay. So, um, and again, unless you can find someone to swap with you, you're Mm -hmm. going or you don't Mm -hmm. get your degree. Mm -hmm. So they're all things you have to take into consideration. That said, you know, you just have to look at the positives of it because there's nothing you can do about it yeah um and there are a huge amount of positives yeah 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 yeah. you know like you can you can have a great amount of fun mm-hmm. moving around to all these different places of course it's a lot harder though if you've you know say got a, a wife and kids or mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. that's a lot more difficult mm-hmm. um okay yeah uh what is the big differences from the classroom to what you see in the hospital? Huge amounts of differences. So, um, like you need to have that classroom knowledge to understand what's going on. Okay. Um, but in the hospital, a lot of it is about personality, personality and character and confidence and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone that, who gets through the classroom phases of medical school are smart you know everyone knows their stuff otherwise you wouldn't be there what really sets people apart is their ability to communicate with people 
work well in a team um, and be confident. That's one of the biggest things that um, you see in medical students is they'll just, you know, they just don't back themselves to go and give things a try. Yeah. And it just makes them look so incompetent, even though they're not necessarily incompetent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, it's something you just have to get through because patients don't want someone who looks like they have no clue what they're doing, doing things to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it makes them really uncomfortable. It makes everyone uncomfortable. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I know that it's terrifying, right? I've been there, but you've got to just pretend you know what you're doing and just look calm and like you're ready to go. Right, and right. Really so good. it's it's all well and good to be a bookworm, but you also need to be able to convert that knowledge into the real world. Yeah. Yeah, and being able to interact with people is the most useful skill. Yeah, for sure. Um, because your business, your job is people. Yeah. All of it is people. Yeah. You know, so it's not good enough to be unable to interact and communicate well. Okay. So, what. Uh, yeah, like, for example, there are a lot of different industries where I think knowing knowing the industry a bit more, doing a bit of digging, understanding kind of the industry and what what it kind of actually looks like from the inside is really useful. Mm. What are some of the key things, apart from, you know, the time commitment and kind of the... the, the, the you sacrifice to an element of, like... Uh, geographical freedom for the early parts of your career Mm. you also sacrifice time for the uh, you know training up and stuff like this Mm. um, for all the benefits but are there any other things that people who would consider a career of medicine should evaluate whether that's personality whether that's their skills you know maybe some people have a high propensity towards maths but still want to study medicine maybe they don't necessarily uh, enjoy science or chemistry as much but they kind of want to do it for let's say the wrong reasons or reasons that aren't uh, you know that don't completely justify studying yeah. this degree yeah I think so there are people from every single walk of life mm-hmm. in medicine and they all do well yeah. so it, it's not really important whether you're you know good at science bad at science things like that I mean, obviously, you have to be good at science yeah. to a degree, but you don't have to be outstanding at it. Right. Right. You need to enjoy working hard yeah. and working a lot yeah, right? okay. because um, for a lot of the careers in medicine, right, you are very busy and you're working very hard for a very long time. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, unless you go into... GP or public health or psychiatry or medical admin, Mm -hmm. you know, you're probably going to be very busy and Mm -hmm. not have a huge amount of free time. So that's something to keep in mind. Is that a life that you want or not? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And being in it for the right reasons is really important for sure. If, if you just want to earn lots of money, you're going to get sick of it. Right. 
if you just want to be well respected by everyone you might get sick of it right you really need to be in it because you want to do what doctors do yeah essentially right so how can you if you're a student how can you immerse yourself or you know simulate that sort of experience you know yeah that's a good question because Um, so for example you know in my industry mm. the way you do it is by is by doing it so you can start you can open a trading account and you can try and trade and you can understand the feeling of what it feels like to win and lose money these sorts of things how could you you know what kind of things could people do students so school and uni students yeah so that that's tough because not many unless you're in medical school as a medical student Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible to get any actual hands-on experience in medicine right um there you know you might as well ask around yeah you you should ask around you might get lucky someone might Mm want to help you out um but i don't know of any formal pathways of doing that okay um but even not formal right like even just more casual yeah well i was on a placement once in a gp clinic where there was a high school kid there yeah and that was just because his mother was friends with someone who worked there yeah so it's just ask around really yeah get exposure yeah yeah um that said you know being a high school student he didn't get to do a whole lot or see a whole lot yeah you know because there's huge issues with you know insurance and liability and confidentiality and stuff like that you know uh, a medical student is covered by their university for all of that stuff um a high school student isn't yeah you know yeah okay um so yeah you kind of need to know someone or someone who's willing to show you some parts of it yeah for you to get exposure yeah that's hard so it's hard to tell you you can extrapolate it from other things in your life you know you you can be really honest with yourself and say you know how what sort of things do i like to do sure you know what sort of feeling do i get when i help people do i go out of my way to help people and do things like that do i you know do i want to do things to improve the world and things like that are those things that drive you you know those are good ways to tell yep um I think just being a very pragmatic person in general is really useful yeah. for it because you'll be exposed to and see some of the most horrific things that humanity can throw at you mm-hmm. and you've got to just get through it. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So, so basically have a high uh, tolerance to uh, quite to confronting situations. Yes. Yeah, so you've got to have yeah. a high stress tolerance. You've got to be able to deal with being worked very hard Mm -hmm. and you've got to be able to deal with seeing and hearing and experiencing really traumatic things yeah i think you can kind of work that out you know you can kind of work that out in school you know those types of skills right like you know you can you can kind of you can do that in uni as well like you can ascertain those skills with you know simple things like exams or different Mm. family pressures or friend pressures or relationship pressures you can kind of work back and reverse back to your core skills and whether they would be that would go hand in hand with the skills that you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, well, I know for me, so I've always liked being busy. Um, I've always liked having purpose, right? Those are both things you get 
with medicine you get heaps of <laughs> heaps of being busy and heaps of purpose mm-hmm. um i've always been fairly good with dealing with stress mm-hmm. like i remember in high school i just take on as much as possible and enjoyed yep. being that busy and that stressed that said medical school really tested that mm-hmm. um but yeah i think you if you really be honest with yourself and look at all of the negatives um, and weigh that up against the positives, I think you can very easily tell if it's... Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, good. it's not even... It's, they're not even negatives. They're just things that, you know... No, they're just what things that come with the job. Yeah, you know? yeah. They're just uh, things that maybe people pretend don't exist. Yeah. And things that, you know, people don't talk about and don't tell you. Yeah. You know, like, I, I did not know going into medicine that I would probably have to move to a different place every six months for years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it is what it is, you know, and I think about the long-term outlook and how much I'll enjoy the job down the road and that's worth it to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cool. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there are so many benefits. Oh yeah. Despite those things that you don't hear about that could be seen as downsides I still think it's a fantastic career yeah yeah are you okay yeah I mean absolutely um I think you know it's just it's difficult right because there are a lot of people who will do it and will do it for the right reasons and have a very fulfilling career Hmm. but if you're a student and you have no idea you Hmm. can get quite uh, lost, right? Like you can get it. it it's yeah. everything's everything sounds sexy in school. Engineering yeah. sounds sexy. Uh, finance sounds sexy. Medicine sounds sexy. Law sounds sexy. Like you know, everyone wants to be Harvey Specter. Everyone wants to be yeah. you know X, Y, and Z. Right? Yeah. It all sounds sexy, but the 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 reality of all these jobs is not how it's necessarily sold to us in high school. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's um, it's different, and um, but you know what? I I didn't know any of that stuff. I just jumped into it. Yeah. Convinced myself I'd like it, and um, I do. Yeah, well, that's you know? it's worked out. It's, yeah. So, you know, you can't know everything. Yeah. Right. You can't predict the future entirely. Yeah. Right. Um, you've got to just get into it and give it a really good go. For probably five years through my undergrad and the first two years of medical school, I hated every second of it mm-hmm. and wanted to quit the entire way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just glad that I didn't. Yeah. You know, so to to really find out, you've got to really push through and actually get into it before yeah, okay. you can yeah. really know. Yeah. And you can always do something else later. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, well, that's that. That's true. You can you can do a medical degree and then go into other parts yeah. of the the labor market. That's absolutely yeah, a possibility. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, I think the best advice I'd give to high school kids is you know work as hard as you can to open up every door possible, but also you know go for what you think is going to give you the life that you want. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you find out that that's wrong later on, then just do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I think that was a decent insight. I think we focused more on the uh, 
but you spent a lot of time talking about the business aspects of kind of yeah. medicine and you know I think that's important as well because people at the end of the day it is a business and so yeah. you know talking about those those, those perspectives is, is good talking about you know how you know how to navigate your way through decisions as a student um, is important mm-hmm. and then you know I guess there's some of the big ones so I think we've covered like you know some of those for most people today yeah the I mean, we, we, you know, we can also do another segment completely on, um, you know, the, you know, the, the ways of teaching medicine and, you know, mm. that sort of stuff. Um, and maybe we'll get to that in a later episode. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you, do you have any final thoughts? Cause that was pretty insightful even for me. Yeah. I think just, um, you know, we, we harped on about negatives a lot there, but I think it's important just to mention that, um, from what I've seen, most people that do it absolutely think it's a worthwhile yeah. career. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's so many great things that would take us even longer to talk about. Yeah, so. I, I'm sure we'll probably explore those at a later date as well. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no thanks for uh, thanks for asking, and thank you to everyone for listening. Yeah, that's yeah. useful. Yeah, well, that yeah basically brings us to another uh, episode of what's on your mind we will continue to do more you know talking about you know finance as well as medicine pros and cons kind of giving a holistic picture but it is a holistic picture and um you know if you stay with us we'll get to the bottom of it all so until then see you next time guys see ya